Jamie, uh, great to chat with you uh, once again, as we have so many times over the years. And uh, you and I talk about uh, hockey a lot of times. We also talk about life issues. Uh, As we get older, uh, we seem to accumulate more issues. And and certainly talking about those with friends is is important. And life certainly became bigger than hockey in Winnipeg this week with uh, the unfortunate situation that transpired with Rick Bonus and his wife, Judy. Can you kind of give us a timeline of of what... What went down in the city of Winnipeg uh, over this last little while? Yeah, o- over the weekend, uh, Judy Bonus, uh, I believe it was Sunday because the Jets were back from, uh, of course, Edmonton with that big win over the Oilers. And Judy uh, suffered a seizure and is uh, clearly uh, needing some medical assistance. And so Rick has chosen, uh, which any husband would do, of course, to step aside uh, while she goes through the testing and all that, like there's there's been no update uh, as of this moment uh, after today after Monday's announcement, Dino, and uh, yeah, totally scary moment. And you commonly hear the term, you know, this is like a reality check, and you realize on what where, where sports ranks and the, and the level of importance in in real life. Um, this is one of those moments. So um, you know, Rick Bonus stepping aside, Scott O'Neill is now the interim head coach. And, you know, last year the Jets have, you know, they've gone through this before with Rick because of COVID last year. And mm-hmm. um, it, it's it's a scary situation. Uh, we risk, clearly everybody that's in the hockey world, you know, knows how great of a person Rick Bonus is. His wife, Judy, is a delight. Um, clearly, uh, he, he speaks of her all the time. Um, so, you know, we were wishing the bonuses all the best in, in, in this situation. So it's... Um, you know, they've constantly mentioned that this is a family first, and, and that's certainly what True North Sports and Entertainment has, uh, you know, preached over the years, at least the time I've been here. And this is one of those situations, and Mark Scheifele said it too, you know, that that's the most importantly, it's about her health, and we'll worry about the, the hockey part a little bit later. Yeah, I was going to ask what the reaction within the city and the team yeah. has been like. Yeah, it's, I mean, like I said just a little bit ago, Rick clearly is held in a high regard here in the city and, you know, you, you know, whatever is going on with the team, you know, if they were struggling or they're six and oh or whatever like that, I'm pretty sure Jets fans are most mostly concerned about the welfare of Judy bonus. And, and you hear that, you know, the people around the office today, same thing. What's going on with Judy? I hope she's okay. And, and, you know, I've got friends texting me like yourself. I hope she's okay. You know, you're what's the latest with her. There's genuine concern for Judy bonus and Rick bonus, of course. And, um, you know, it's, it's hard not to be affected by it. Um, the players clearly, you know, Scott O'Neill said yesterday that the most important thing is you go out and play a, a good solid hockey game. Not me, of course. Um, the players themselves execute the game plan and continue to build off, uh, what was an impressive win in Edmonton, but, uh, it is a real reality check when these types of things happen. Um, and you realize how much the organization and clearly the city of Winnipeg care about the, the bonuses. Yeah, and, and this is a city, uh, let's be honest, it was pretty split yeah. last summer b- because of mm-hmm. what happened. Some people were siding with the players, some people were siding yeah. with the coach. Now everybody is siding with the coach in this one. Hockey is less important, and, and mm-hmm. obviously the, the well-being of Judy is the most important thing. And you mentioned Scott yes. O'Neill taking the reins. No stranger to that bench in particular. He had a tremendous yeah. amount of success with the Manitoba Moose in that exact bench in Winnipeg. Will we notice a difference, do you think, in the style that O'Neill coaches compared to Rick Bonus? Yeah, I I think well both guys are very emotional, right? It's just like uh, there's no question that Scott O'Neill is reacts the same way Rick does. And you, you, you if you you know if you see a player making an ill-advised pass to the neutral zone, you're, you're going to see Rick 
pounding his, his fist on the glass every once in a while. And I'm sure Scott won't be any different. So Arneal traditionally or normally when he is the associate coach handles the defense and he's responsible for the penalty kill. Now it's just basically all the duties in, involved in one. But, um, you know, I mentioned a little bit earlier, they've, they've gone through this before. They've been shorthanded on the bench uh, without Rick because he had COVID a couple of times last year and, or the after effects of COVID uh, when he got it earlier in the season, actually right at the beginning part of the season. So this is, it's just one last guy on the bench at this moment, you know, last year, um, Eric Dubois came up from the Manitoba Moose to help out a little bit too. And Brad Lauer was uh, sidelined with back issues. So I'm not sure if they'll be doing any changes at this moment, but, um, uh, as of the moment, it's just, it's going to be the guys that they have ordinarily minus work bonus on the bench. We talked a little bit about uh, turmoil when we saw each other in the summer in Winnipeg, we yeah. had a, a beautiful breakfast on the patio and this city uh-huh. was in turmoil in the off season. <laughs> the, the season had yes. ended badly. There was the comments at the end, uh, Dubois trade, uh, Blake yes. Wheeler was bought out and then boom, it changes like that when Hellebuck and Shifley sign. And it's almost like all that turmoil disappeared what was it like coming into training camp and how has it been you know navigating all that stuff because there was a lot of stuff that went on in the offseason right and I, I think you you start in particular with the you know when you first start training camp and Rick Bonus addressed the, you know we knew that they were going to have conversations and I'm talking about the players and Rick Bonus after the comments he made after game five right and it, you know clearly some players weren't happy with it um and they made it apparent uh, at the exit meetings but at that moment you knew when everybody walked out of that room that day that rick bonus was going to reach out to the players that he's always been in communication with them that is one of his skills that is one of the things that he's excellent at and that's what they've always appreciated about him so that was kind of by the time training camp rolled around that was water under the bridge and now it's like how is the return on pierre luc dubois going to work so how many times have you ever seen a trade where you trade a number one slash two center and you get three players three forwards that fit right into your lineup. So you go from top heavy, in my opinion, the top six heavy to a, a team that can roll four lines uh, with the addition of Alex Iafalo, Gabriel Velarde, and Rasmus Kapari. Now, mind you, Velarde was injured in his first meeting with his former team, the Los Angeles Kings. In the first period, he's out, you know, four to four to six weeks with an MCL sprain. Hopefully sooner or later he comes back. So the Jets automatically had to adjust, right? It's It was... And we'll get into that in a second because I'm trying to address things in the timeline here. But everybody's happy with the return. And then out of nowhere, and to me, I never felt that Mark Scheifele was on his way out. And I was more hesitant to commit to the fact that Connor Hellebuck was going to stay here. But when Rick Bonus was asked about having to listen to trades on July 1st, on the first day of free agency, he said he has to as a general manager. That's your job. But he, when he said this, I was like, okay, now that doesn't sound like they're really going to move them. They would leave big holes in the organization. And how many times, how hard is it to find number one centers? How hard is it to find a Vesna caliber goaltender? They're just don't, they just don't, right? There's not everywhere in the league. So the big fear was you trade Hellebuck or you trade Shifley or you trade both. What are you getting in return? Are you getting a number one center back? Are you getting how your eventual number one goaltender? Is Lauren Brassois going to have to be your number one netminder if you train Connor Hellebuck? Well, that all goes out the window when the announcement is made when they sign seven-year extensions. And the big thing here is, so with Mark Shifley, we'll start with him. He kind of had said his idol is Steve Eiserman. 
and Eisman played his entire career with the with the uh, Detroit Red Wings. My apologies. So he wanted to have that as legacy to be a Winnipeg Jet for his career. And I think the second he said, "I want to be a Jet for life," you know, all of a sudden everyone in Winnipeg is like, "Okay, that's that's great news." Because we know, buddy, you're from here. You know this. I didn't know it as much until I moved here. There's that whole thing, that whole thing on the shoulders of Winnipeggers. Nobody wants to be here. So when a player Players of those caliber decide they want to stay here long-term. And they're not the first ones, buddy. Kyle Connor's here long-term. Josh Morrissey has decided to play a big chunk of his career here. So obviously there's something good going on in the city of Winnipeg and in particular the organization. So that, that you know, the fact Kevin Sheveldale told the story of when they, the players announced to the team that they're going to stay long-term, there's a huge eruption in the room. You know, they're just, that is, that must have taken a huge weight off the shoulders of not only Mark Scheifele and Connor Hellebuck, but the players themselves, they have to answer questions. Though. What do you think of the future? What, what's it going to take to keep Mark Scheifele here? What are you going to do? Like, is Connor Hellebuck here long-term? You don't have to answer those questions anymore. And I think that, and the fact that those two committed, that said everything you needed to know about how tight of a group they are and that they wanted to stay here. And I love the story that Mark Scheifele told about, he told Cole Perfetti, about that he was staying and Perfetti was so happy and he says that that made my day the reaction I got from Cole Perfetti because they've, they've become very close those two players Mark Scheifele's been a role model for Cole Perfetti so th- those types of things buddy that that's that, that that started the season off right in the right way ahead with a year where there's so many questions how are they going to fit in is this a playoff team what's this going to look like um how's the loss of Dubois and Wheeler going to go right so mm-hmm. it's it's closed a lot of doors on questions that would have probably been annoying about the 20 game mark. Cause it's, you know, everybody here in Winnipeg knows the answers, but every time they go to a new city, every time they go to Toronto, every time they go to Montreal, the rumors are going to start. Cause I remember last year when we, when the jets rolled into Montreal, there, Pierre-Luc Dubois was like mm-hmm. surrounded by, you've been to Montreal, hundreds of reporters and it was a distraction. And that was just one time. Right. So it's just, that would have been everywhere. For, and then where's Mark Shifley? I, we are hearing rumors of going to Boston. That would have been all year long. So I think that's out the window now, and they can just focus on playing hockey. Yeah, anytime you go back to anywhere close to their hometown, yes. uh, that that's yeah. going to come up. And so you mentioned yeah. that this team, a little bit more depth, uh, you know, mm-hmm. spread out a little bit more. One thing that is the same is Josh Morrissey, or Norrissey as he should be called, yeah. off to another awesome start. and. Tough crowd uh, for Josh Morrissey right now when he's trying to win the Norris. When you have, yeah. you know, Kale McCarr, you have Adam Fox, you have Eric Carlson last year. He finished fifth in the Norris voting last year and had such yeah. a good season. Like, what must happen for Josh Morrissey to win the Norris? I, I have a feeling Kale McCarr might go on a Nick Lidstrom-type run, and this is going to be kind of like Jets 1.0, where Dale Howarchuk was one of the best players in the game but had Lemieux and Gretzky to deal with the whole time. So this yeah. is a tough award for Josh Morrissey to win, even though he definitely has the credentials for it. Yeah, he totally does. And I think, you know, the, the big question was, could he do it again? Right. So we had heard, so you go back to Paul Maurice and I remember the year they went to the the conference final and Paul Maurice continuously said to the new media that would come in, you know, another series, you start with Minnesota, then you go to the next series, it's Nashville and it's Vegas, you know, each round of of, of playoffs, you know, was a level that Josh Morrissey hasn't got to yet because Josh Morrissey wasn't on the number one power play. He was in charge of playing with Jacob Truba and going up against the other team's best. Well, now Josh Morrissey's with Dylan DeMello, 
And he's again in charge of going up the other team's best. And that's what Scott O'Neill talked about yesterday is that there's conversation this summer. What do you have to do to get to another level? Well, you have to defend as well as put up the points, right? And all due respect to Eric Carlson, who had a season for the ages over 100 points as a defenseman is nothing to shake a stick at, but you still have to play the game at the position that you play. And that is going up against the other team's best. And, you know, Josh Morris is going to see a lot of the, the Connor McDavis, the Leon Dreisaitl's, you know, tonight, Robert Thomas, Jordan Cairo against St. Louis. Um, that's going to be his job in night in and night out and keeping the numbers up. So I, I think the all around game and maintaining it through the entire schedule, right? I think all the attention he received last year, which was well-deserved, I think it got to him a little bit, right? There's a little more awareness. There's a little more responsibilities with media. You're, you're talking to every visiting media member because you're in that Norris Trophy conversation. So, and I, I'm, I'm not saying he was complaining about it. I'm not saying it affected his game, but it's just a lot. And then you go to your first All-Star game. So your schedule is a little bit more hectic than it has been in years past. Now he knows what to expect. Now he knows where, he, and he's challenging himself to get into that top three conversation because Rick Bonus said last year, we want you to be a top 10 defenseman. Well, Morris, you got into the top five. So now he knows where he can go and clearly confident enough in his abilities to do that. And um, I think Edmonton Oilers fans saw just how good Josh Morrissey could be on Saturday night because he played 27 minutes and he <laughs> was up against the likes of Connor McDavid, you know, and, and Leon Dreisaitl all night long. So it's, um, it's going to take a, a continuous pace of that. I don't know, you know, Kale McCarr is clearly, uh, you know, able and has the ability to score a hundred points. So I don't know if Josh Morrissey has to get to a hundred points, but that's the level that you're at or have to get to. Unfortunately, um, if you want to get to, to, to be a Norris Trophy winner. So it's there's a there's a lot of great players out there, but the fact that he wants to get better says everything you know, uh, you need to know about Josh Morrissey. I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, this is a guy that it's just circumstantial that he, he's up against a guy like yeah. Carr and things like that. I hope Morrissey gets one because he certainly deserves it. And you mentioned against Connor McDavid the other night, Great job. Big Jets victory. Uh, it mm-hmm. comes at a cost for the NHL, and that's McDavid is out. That's bad news, yes. whether you're an opponent yeah. of McDavid or you're a fan of McDavid, because there's national broadcasts. There's the Heritage Classic. Uh, of course. They need him in the lineup. The NHL needs McDavid in the lineup. This is this is a really unfortunate turn of events, not just for the Oilers, for the entire league. Yeah, of course. And you like, Especially if they go on the road – there is that there's a we hear this all the time look at look at load management in the nba you you're a kid you want to you're going to watch lebron james when the lakers come to town and then the guy's hurt and you're disappointed that's what happens when the oilers come to town and it is awesome to watch leon dreisaitl but the best player in the game is not is going to miss a couple of weeks it, it is 100 percent disappointing especially missing the outdoor game because we all know how fantastic those are and what a great event it is yeah it's it, it it's amazing that he has been able to stay as healthy as he is with the attention that he gets and the mm. abuse that he takes night in and night out. So uh, while unfortunate, I, you know, clearly the Oilers want him in the lineup later in the season when, when it, when the games really start to matter, but uh, it is an unfortunate break for the Evans Oilers and the national hockey league, especially with the heritage classic coming up. Yeah, like I remember when Mary Lemieux came back from uh, yeah. his beating cancer in his retirement, he 
played sparingly because he was recovery. That's different. Uh, you know, load yes. management in the NBA, you go to a game, you don't see your star, it, it's terrible. And, and Especially when they're sitting around the bench. That's like, that's the worst part. Yeah, so that's, it, it is. Yeah. You're watching them in street clothes. And, and and having their stars in the game is one way the NHL will will catch up to the, to the yeah. other big three or prevent the MLS from passing them. I mean, yeah. the MLS is shooting up, especially with Messi there and, and everything. So that's a big challenge for the NHL. I think they should have ISO channels. I would watch a McDavid ISO yeah. channel like they did with Lemieux when he came back on, on Sportsnet that one time. How do you think mm-hmm. the NHL maybe catches up to the NBA if they can or or just stays ahead of the MLS? What does the NHL need to do, do you think? Well, I, I think, you know, like we, we all have to realize what the NHL is. Like NHL is we love the sport and we understand what it is. I agree with you. Um, you do like the ISO cam is a fantastic idea. I heard um, Mark Cuban on the Dan Patrick podcast one time talking about he felt with major league baseball and I'm sorry, I'm going all over the place here, but he felt in major league baseball, they could capitalize on the TikTok market. Whenever somebody was throwing a no hitter, you go live on TikTok. that game, you go to that player, or this guy mm-hmm. is about to hit for the cycle. Bam, live on TikTok. Like those types of things can happen, and maybe possibly the NHL could capitalize on that on, on that as well, right? And and we all understand the game has to market the players a lot better, and but there has to be buy-in from a the players and b the league has to do the same thing. So I uh, understand like they, they are great players, but we have to understand their personalities, and I think that's where each team is starting to work a little bit harder than I think the league is. But the, the, the people that don't understand hockey or don't watch it for a certain reason have to understand which players are great and why they are great. And I think I agree with you with the ISO cam. And so much going up with the MLS, buddy, soccer is bigger than we can even imagine anywhere. And the, what the MLS has done has become it's genius. Um, but there are more soccer fans in America probably than we would even think hockey fans. Right. So it's just like with Messi, you can't, you cannot compete with that. There's not a player that can compete worldwide the way Lionel Messi does in any place. And especially in America where they can promote the heck out of it. So um, it's, it's to me, it's all about getting people to understand just how good these guys are and why they're good and what makes them great is, is, is one of the biggest challenges facing the National Hockey League. So I think you're more concerned about growing your game rather than, oh, here comes the MLS or, oh, we got to get to the NBA. It's just focusing on what you have. And I appreciate what they're doing with the staggering of the starts mm-hmm. um, on Tuesday with all 16 games. But, man, you could have done that opening weekend, yes. like on a Saturday. Uh, Tuesday, uh, I've gone over this today, like 7.45 is not an ideal start on a oh. Tuesday night where people have to go to work tomorrow or people have kids like that. You're removing a big chunk of fans from that opportunity. Like it's, It looks great to people that are watching games across the league, but it's not great for the fans here in Winnipeg where they have to come to the game at 7.45 and then you're home by midnight. It just it, it does not work on an October, October and Tuesday do it on a Saturday yep. uh, uh, to kick off the season, maybe, and I think you have you, you're on to something. Every Saturday should be a staggered start. I mean, yeah, like, I, the, like, the NFL and and some others, baseball and things like that, they they get yeah. it right with the staggered start, so you Saturday give your fans your an opportunity. Like, yeah, Saturday is is hockey day, right? And I know college football is huge in the United States, um, and you're kind of going up against that, but not in this situation. Saturday mm-hmm. is what when you think of hockey, especially in our country. It's Saturday, so I think the staggered start probably would have worked a lot more efficiently on a, uh, uh, to start the year. 
Yeah, going into tonight, 17 players uh, had a pace of uh, 1.5 points yeah. per game or better. Uh, that's We know that's going to thin out, but are, are yeah. we honestly seeing the most offensive NHL era since the the, the late uh, the early 90s from the 80s? Yeah, I, I think so. And, and you probably, when you were doing your prospect show, right, you, you, you understood the guys that were coming up. But now that kind of I've shifted my focus to that part of the game too, when you watch these kids, man, like Macklin Celebrini, I was watching the highlights of him the other night. Like there's, they're doing things you don't see. And it, and it just seems like every year there's somebody, and I'm not saying there's a Connor Bedard coming every year, but there's somebody of interest of, of that excitement that gets you out of your seat. I feel like there's somebody like that every year coming in the draft. Now, whether that all translates to the national hockey league, I don't mm-hmm. know, but the game, when you watch it and I challenge, I, I ask anybody, that goes, okay, I could do this. I could slow it down. You can't because you just watch the game at ice level and there's a guy coming at you six foot four, two, two ten, and he's coming at you full speed. You can't hold people up the blue line. It's not the game that it was in the 90s. You can't stand. My dad used to yell all the time, stand them up. I'm like, you can't, dad. No. They'll literally bowl you over. Like they just, and there's, and they, you can't be still nowadays because the game that's played, it's amazing what they do in such tight spaces. It's the game is the best it's ever been. And I, uh, I grew up in the same era as you. Mm-hmm. I love the, uh, well, I hated it, but the Gretzky era was, um, you know, that, that team and those players and Mary Lemieux and Dale Howarchuk, they were fantastic players, but they are not even close to what's coming out year over yeah. year um, with the talent level that these kids have, because the, the focus is on hockey. They train all year on hockey. They're so good at such a young age and they understand what the game is and what to expect. And there's so many people training you now and there's, you know, there's diets for this and diets for that. There's just no way that you could, you know, the Mary Lemuse who's smoking a cigarette between periods to <laughs> keep up with the play of the game, that you can't do that now. And don't you remember the guys would come to camp to get in shape. And my favorite thing always, and I tell this story all the time, when I went to Okanagan Hockey School, you got the old pamphlet that says, you don't come to Okanagan Hockey School to get in shape. You get in shape to come to Okanagan Hockey School. That's the National Hockey League. You have to be in shape before training camp even starts. Yeah, Al IF80 having a dart uh, in between yep. game periods just, yep. just doesn't happen anymore. And Playing guilty it, doesn't happen anymore, buddy. No, and and you're like, listen, we did a Challenge Cup event this past weekend, 10 and 11-year-olds. We do I do JPHL U14, U15, yeah. U17, U18. The skills on the kids today are incredible. There's no way I could play as a kid today. I would get lit up every day because they're not afraid and and the skills out there and the determination and the the yeah. the, the drill they can go in and there's a story uh john calvano on this show told a story about Connor bernard getting and doing a drill one time and all the nhlers were like what the heck's going on how does he know how to do this because there's no fear and and there's the skill is so much now the one thing that is happening a lot in the nhl seven teams have power plays 24% or better last year. 24% for seven yeah. teams. The Oilers were over 32%. The Devils are off the charts right now. Is there a point where too many power plays happen? Are we there yet? And do you care or or, or do you want more flow? Because I know the players, It the, the amount of power plays takes guys out of the game. So we want offense. Power plays give offense. But at some point, yeah. you don't want an entire special teams game. So there's got to be a happy medium. Is the NHL figuring that out, do you think? It always comes around. Like the, the officials are trying to figure out, uh, you know, they call tons of penalties early part of the year. The players expect that. But you, let's go back to what the Jets are. The Jets are a four-line team. You start rolling power play after power play. Now you're taking out Rasmus Kapari. Now you're taking out, 
you know, uh, Morgan Barron, although he kills penalties. So it's just, it just takes everything out of the flow. And the game is better when it's played at five on five for extended periods. Yes, you want your power plays and the power plays are fun to watch, but that's how you wear down your team, like your star players. That's what happens. And you wear down your penalty killers. Then they're less effective in the third period if you're holding on to the lead. So I'm all for penalties and they should be, when there's a penalty, it should be called. But the amount that they're getting right now is, is as it always is in October, is just too much. And it's not a pace that you can keep up. The players will start to understand what penalties will be called and what they won't, what, what referees call this and what they'll call that. They all adapt. It gets better as the season goes along. But uh, for now, the power plays nowadays are getting to be too – like Rick Bonus even said, we have to get our power play over 20 if we want to make the, 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 uh, power, the playoffs this year. Can't get that out. Um, so the important part is – is balance it out, figure this all out, and then sit back and enjoy the ride because it's a 5v5 game. That's what makes it so great, and um, hopefully that that, that uh, changes sooner rather than later. Great stuff as usual, my man. Happy belated birthday. Your double-pack uh, DVD of Jennifer Lopez Jiggly and Johnny Depp Cry Baby is on the way because yeah. I know those are your two favorite movies and yeah. what we would give each other all the time on our birthdays when we were roommates. Yeah. And uh, yeah. all the best to the Bonus family and everybody in Winnipeg, and thanks for joining me today on the show. My pleasure, my friend. Uh, happy early birthday greetings to you.